That's all for announcements this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 12. Believe it or not, we're still moving through this gospel. It's amazing. Uh, We're going to be in verses 35 to 48. You know the pattern if you come to the rock regularly. I usually read the whole passage up front, and then we pray, and then we unpack it. We look at what it has to say. I'm going to do it a little differently today for two reasons. One, it's a long passage, and secondly, it's it's an interesting passage. And and I'd like to see us uh, see it unfold in the way that Jesus says what he's going to say. So as way of a a bit of introduction before we get into it this morning, uh, I was thinking about it this week, and I don't know if most of you are friends of the Rock Church on Facebook. You could be. I I posted on Facebook this past week a couple of summer reading recommendations for those of you who are really trying to grow in your Christian life, which is all of you, amen? Hello? Okay. And there were a couple that I put out there that were really, really good. Now, I could have also put up some recommendations related to, you know, fiction and novels and stuff like that, which, of course, I like to read, too. And I, I, I actually have one that I've picked that it's on my iPad right here. I'm not reading it right now, but I will when we go away this week. And uh, I, I particularly love, when it comes to fiction, I love anything that has to do with spies, intrigue, and mystery. Anybody, right? Like, that, that's my favorite, right? It has been for years. But then Several years ago, and I think it was because as a, as a young guy, I, I kind of wanted to be a lawyer at one point in time, and then I gave my head a shake. And No, I did. I wanted to become a lawyer, and I became very interested in that. And then a few years ago, I don't know how long it, he's been writing. It's quite a while. The author's name is John Grisham, and he writes amazing um, fictional novels. He himself was a lawyer, and most of his books have to do something to do with crime, you know, murder, mystery, right? And lawyers, of course, right? But there's, there's one thing I, I learned in reading his novels, and if you haven't read them yet, you, you're going to want to do this, or not do this, maybe, is, is that he, he has the most unusual endings. I mean, you want, the, at the end of a whodunit, kind of, to be a surprise, right? His are unbelievable. Like, the first book, I was like, what? Really? Oh, that's brilliant, right? It, you don't see it right away. It's, it's amazing how he does that. So, so the thing is this, right? If you were going to read one of his novels, which I strongly recommend, they're good. He is a, a believer, by the way, and so most of his books have some spiritual undertone and, and moral teaching to them. Uh, but the last thing that you're going to want to do with a John Grisham novel is what? Read the last chapter first, right? Like that, would, would that not ruin it? Right? It would completely, I, I, I'm just telling you right now, don't read the last chapter first because you won't understand it. You'll ruin it, right? You would never do that. I mean, the idea is you want to read and, you know, you keep reading and then you get, it's late at night and you need to take a break. It's not like you're binging on Netflix. You know, you want to read some of the book tomorrow, right? Not get her all done tonight. And it's just suspense, suspense, suspense. And then when you get to the end, oh, what a great ending. And, and you're both happy and sad because you've read a great book and you're sad because it's over, Right? When's he going to write another book, right? Uh, Fans of John Grisham. It's interesting, isn't it? Because here we have a book. We have a book right here, or actually, properly said, it's a collection of 66 books. And it is the bestseller of all time. Did you all know that? It is the best-selling book of all time, every year. So much so that Amazon and others, they don't even record it in their top sellers, right? It is by far the best-selling book of all time. And, and the crazy thing about this book is, by the way, that even though it is the bestseller of all time, here's the thing. Almost everybody who buys one or picks it up and reads it on a regular basis knows how it ends. Do you? Do you know how it ends? Right? I mean, we should know, right, how it ends. 
I mean, even at our Christmas services, Christmas Eve services, uh, I will often do this, and any, quite frankly, preacher worth his salt, not only will celebrate the birth of Jesus, right, the virgin birth of Jesus at Christmas, it's an awesome thing, is it not? But we will also make sure that people understand, or we will tell the story of, you know what, this birth was prophesied, was promised for thousands of years by God. And, and not only was he born of a virgin in, in this lowly state, but, but he also grew in to become a man and lived basically a, a non-existent, well, as far as society was concerned, nobody knew him, a very humble life for 30 years. And then he goes public, and for three and a half years, he preaches the kingdom of God. He reveals to people that he is the Messiah. And the religious people, of course, won't have him. So what do they do with him? They crucify him. He is dead. He is buried. And he rises again from the dead. All of these things prophesied for 2,000 to 4,000 years in the Bible, in this book, the story of God. And what happens? He rises from the dead. And then he meets with his disciples after 40 days, after thousands of eyewitnesses seeing him and, and it being recorded here in the Gospel of Luke and in other Gospels, that they saw him. But not only that, just before he ascends, the angels, actually, as he's ascending, the angels tell the disciples, and by the way, the way that you see him going now, he will come again in the exact same way. And so I want to encourage you this morning that his coming is a certainty. Amen? It's a certainty. Just as his coming the first time was a certainty, and he did. And the Scripture, Old Testament and New, prophesies Jesus, as we will see in our text today, talks about him coming again. And he wants you and I to be awake and to be ready and not to be taken by surprise because it is going to happen. Now, I think some of us might be a, a little bit doubtful right? I mean, it seems like every day the sun goes down, it comes back up again, right? A couple of facts for you that might be interesting. Are you aware of the fact that, and I, I did some research, I just used a little calculator, it's pretty simple to do this, but from the days that Jesus was speaking in the Gospel of Luke when he lived on this earth, how many days do you think it's been from that day until today? I'll answer it for you. Approximately, give or take a few days, 725,000 days. Now, when you think about it, that's not a lot of time, is it? I mean, when you speak about Darwinian evolution, if that's, if that's your belief system, and, and, and you know, like they, they talk about billions of years in order for things to evolve into what we have today, that 725,000 days? Less than 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words that we will read today? That's not a very long time. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, from Genesis, the earliest recorded time, and even in our history as human beings, earliest recorded time that we have anything intelligible on paper, well, papyrus or whatever is still uh, able to be read today, it goes only back about 6,000 years from today. Do you realize that's only 2.25 million days? You're all going to go out of here today with notes going, I, it's amazing, I got some facts. Well, why would, I, why would I tell you this? Well, it's because... Time is short. Time in human history is shorter than you and I really understand. And in some cases, I think, believe. And so certainty is what Luke wanted for his good friend Theophilus to have, right? That's what our screen says, that you may have certainty. Read the first chapter of Luke. 
He's writing to his good friend Theophilus, a fellow Greek pagan skeptic who came to faith in Jesus, like Luke. And he wants him to be certain of these things. Certainty's good, by the way. We have to work at getting there, but that's what he wants. I would suggest to you also it's what the Holy Spirit wants for you and I here today. And so my assertion as we begin this morning is there is nothing more certain in this world today, more than death and taxes, than Jesus Christ is coming again. Do you believe that? Do we live every day of our lives believing that? Well, that's why Jesus spoke these words that we're going to read now, verse by verse as we go through this and unpack this. It's why he wrote these words, uh, spoke these words, pardon me, to his disciples. And in the way in which he does, very challenging in the way that he puts it. And the reason is he loves them. One of them's going to betray him that's hearing him speak on this day. He loves them. He wants them to trust in him, believe in him, and he wants them, listen, to be ready. Not taken by surprise, but to be ready. Your sermon title for today is The Always Ready Life. I hope to show you three things today. Number one, ready, set, with lights on. Number two, reward, singular, and consequences, plural. And finally, how to remain ready. You ready? Point number one, ready, set, with lights on. Jesus said this to his disciples. Huddle up, boys. Come in a little tight here, close. I've got something else to say to you besides what I was just saying about leading the worry-free life, and it is this. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So again, a little bit of a recap. Since the beginning of chapter 12, we've watched Jesus leaning into his disciples. The crowds are there, thousands of people at the beginning of chapter 12. So many so they were trampling on one another. Thousands are there, but he's, he's leaning into the 12 and the other approximately 100, 120 men and women who are his true disciples following him at that time. And he starts teaching them. And, and during this long sermon, he's taught them about hypocrisy, right? The hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He, he's taught them about the fear of man, the fear of actually being killed by these men like he will be one day and 11 of the 12 will be as well. He, he's talked to them about proclaiming him publicly despite the fact they're going to have that fear but still challenging them that they have to and they must and they need to proclaim him publicly. He's taught them about covetousness and greed and how that will get them off their game. Worshipping the things in this world, stuff and possessions, more than him. And finally, he basically said, listen, what that's going to lead to, what that's going to lead to, that greed, that, that materialism of this world, it's going to lead to stress and to anxiety. And I want to free you from that. And, and, and unlike the world that just wants to offer us stress management, we learned last week, right, which is all the world can offer, Jesus says, no, I want to eliminate it. I, I want to give you a life where there is no anxiety, no stress, a life where, listen, you just need to trust me. Trust your Heavenly Father. We will provide for everything that you need. 
That takes faith, does it not? And so Jesus leads them through this teaching on anxiety, weariness, death, and he suggests basically two things. Two things we saw last week that he suggests you're going to need in order to have this worry-free life, right? The first was he said this, seek first his kingdom. So, so in, in other words, every day, the first day, every time you get up in the daytime, don't, don't start thinking, well, okay, how am I going to get wealthier? How am I going to, you know, do better in my job? How am I going to, you know, make more money and be able to buy that new car, buy this, do that? In other words, expand my kingdom. No, no, no. How about every morning, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as your child, Lord Jesus, as a servant of yours, what way can I participate today? My wife, my family, our church, can we participate today in the expansion of your kingdom? How can we do that? And then he says, all these things will be added to you. In that process, if you're on mission with me, seeking the expansion of my kingdom, don't worry. You'll have all you need to eat and to wear. I'll look after you. And you know what? He does. Fully. But then he adds, he says, listen, as you're going out and doing that, and as you're becoming doubtful and worried and thinking, well, look, you know, like I'm working hard for the Lord and for ministry and, and witnessing to people, and, you know, I'm struggling, not making more, and barely have enough. And look at these people over here. They're doing great, and they're, they're, they're watching Netflix every night. And, you know, like, what? okay, I'm really on Netflix today for some reason. But anyway... And, and then you start to worry and stress, right? You get into that, and then Jesus says, if that starts to happen in your life, he then says, well, maybe consider this. Sell your possessions. <laughs> get rid of it. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so he just encourages us that, listen, there's going to be those times when you are on fire for Christ, when you are trying to grow in your, your, your life as a Christian, but also you're, you're wanting to tell others about Jesus and invite people to church and missional community group and, and, and to following him for the sake of his kingdom. There are going to be times when you're like, man, it would be nice to have wheels that aren't going to fall apart when I drive down the Sea to Sky Highway and so on and so forth. So in order to live this worry-free life that Jesus is promising, I think we need to understand these things that we saw last week that he's been teaching, and we certainly need to understand them if we're going to be living the life that he's now bringing to the attention of his disciples, which is the always-ready life, right? So he now moves into really one of his final steps in his discipleship training for his disciples. He's been training them to be disciples who make disciples, that's how he's going to send them, right? Go and make disciples who make disciples, baptizing them. You know that, right? The Great Commission. And so this is about readiness. This is the last step in the discipleship training. You need to be ready, like always ready. And so you see in the ESV translation that I have on screen here, the words say, stay dressed for action. It's one of these things where it's one of these times in the Scripture where um, translators, you know, they have a real hard job sometimes uh, translating what were, you know, Jewish idioms, uh, uh, whether they were in the Greek or in the Aramaic, there were idioms, you know, like sayings in their day. We have sayings today, right? Hashtag BFF, 
people from the first century would go, what in the world does that mean, right? They would have no clue what that means. I didn't until a few years ago, but I do now. I'm so hip. Uh, so, but this is an idiom, right? And so it's hard to translate this and so that we would understand its meaning. It's actually interesting, the, the, the good old, old English King James Version. Anyone ever had one of those Bibles? It's, it's an off, awesome translation of the Bible. It, it actually translates this, these words, stay dressed for action, gird up your loins. Right. So I remember, like, first time I'm reading that and with my Bible, my King James that I had when I first became a Christian, I'm like, okay, that sounds weird. Like, okay, what in the world does that actually mean? Gird up your loins, Right. Well, it, it, it's, it would have been, again, the men standing right in front of Jesus would have completely understood this idiom and this saying. Completely. Why? Because they're, for the most part, all wearing tunics or cloaks with a belt around their waist. And, and the idea was, as soon as he, they heard these words, Aramaic coming out of the mouth of Jesus, Greek that's being written by Luke here, they would have understood what he means is, is we need to take our tunic right? We need to bring it up underneath from behind. We need to wrap it around our waist, and we need to tie it up tight around our loins, right? Okay, got to be careful here. This is PG, what, 18? And, and then tie the belt around us, and why? Because we are now ready for what? We're ready for action. We're ready, in fact, if we have to, we're ready to now run. Stay dressed for action. And, and the Greek, the, the tense that is being used here means now and from now on. This is your posture every morning when you wake up. Gird up your loins. Stay dressed for action. So listen, look at it. We are, we are to be ready and set for action every day. And as I said, that's to be our posture, our mindset. And it starts, listen, it starts first thing in the morning with the idea of the fact that we need to, here's another one for you, gird up the loins of our mind. Everybody, some of you need to read the King James, okay? It's a great translation of the Bible because in 1 Peter, Peter, who's right in front of Jesus on this day hearing these words, he writes in 1 Peter these words. And again, this is from the ESV, but I'll add a little translation for you from the King James or the original. He says this, Therefore, <clears throat> preparing, girding your minds for action and being sober-minded. And he's speaking to a church that he's planted. It's 20 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And he's telling everybody there that what you need to do is you need to gird up the loins of your mind. You need to stay dressed and ready mentally. The Apostle Paul expands on that, and he goes on to say in Ephesians 6.14, he says this, Stand therefore. Now, you know this passage, right? Ephesians 6 is about spiritual warfare. This is about... You know, not, listen, by the way, this is not about getting dressed for warfare strictly for defensive reasons. I got on the breastplate of righteousness and like I got a sword and, and if anybody attacks my home, well then, no, this was for offense too. Why? Because you were going to be going into the world, going into war. And Paul says this, right? He says, stand there having, whoop, let me get it up for you, having, look at this, fastened, fastened, on the belt of truth, girded the loins of your mind with the belt of truth, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, daily. So this staying dressed for action, this being ready, is key to the Christian life. 
It's key. It's what Jesus is getting across. And then he says, he goes, I'll go back to the main verse. He goes back on and says, keep your lamps burning. That's great, right? So what's, what does that mean? We need to get candles, right? As Christians, like, get the LED lights. Okay, I know it saves power. But you need to get, no. Th- this is, so there's a physical posture of readiness, but there's also mental readiness. In other words, we need to be awake, <laughs> clear-headed. We need to be fully on guard. And then finally, he finishes the picture for us by saying, listen, be like men and women who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and he knocks. So I want you to look at this with me somewhat carefully because there are two keys to see. First, I believe there's a metaphorical picture here where it's about uh, your own personal life uh, being part of the metaphor, right? Uh, It's a picture, a metaphor of keeping one's house in order. Um, That would be true. One's life in order. There would be some truth to that. But really the question has to be, and look at this in this way, there's a deeper point, isn't there? Whose house is this really we're talking about here? Whose house in this parable is Jesus really speaking about? It's his house. It's the master's house. The picture of his master who's away at a wedding feast or preparing for a wedding feast in the case of our Lord Jesus today. He's away at a wedding feast and he leaves his servants in charge of his house his household, his possessions, his money, his animals, his property. This is his stuff. And he's leaving them in charge of it. And while they are, listen, stewarding his house, his home, they are to be ready, set, and awake at all times. So the question has to be, what does that look for you and I here today, for Christians today, what does that look like 2,000 years after the cross, right? What does that look for us? Well, a couple of questions. How do you, how do I, how do we look at our house, our condo, our apartment, our vehicles, our stuff? And notice I, our, our, our. Well, as we, we learned when we looked at the parable of the rich fool, we should be, we should be recognizing that Jesus is saying, <laughs> please, please. In order for you not to become greedy and covetous, for you not to become full of anxiety and worry about your stuff and money, for your own sake, would you realize this? I gave it to you. 100% of it. I've given 100% of it for you to steward and for you to steward well. And so the danger, of course, becomes when we, we believe that, well, you know what, we, are, we need to be and we need to see ourselves as the masters of our own home, king of the castle, right? Masters over our own lives. As I said last week, you need to, if that's your mindset, you need to get very, very familiar with your new best friend forever, anxiety. <laughs> anxiety. And so what would change if we saw it from the perspective that it's all his? What, if, what would change if we saw this parable in light of the fact that Jesus is saying, I've left you in charge. You're my stewards. 
ready. Gird it up and be awake. Well, Jesus is going to respond and tell us a little bit about what it looks like. And he's going to begin, first of all, with the faithful servant. He goes on in verses 37 and 38 and says this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Wow. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Do you see the progression there? He comes at the first, second. So he's, he's saying that there are some people who are going to be awake for a long time. And if they're awake for a long time, bless them as well. So what does that blessing look like? Well, you see it being promised, and again, it's in a parable, but it's a promise of Christ. He has a blessing in store for those servants who, when He comes, are ready and awake. And so look at that blessing. What is it? Well, it's Jesus Himself. It's the Master Himself girding Himself and asking us to recline at table, and He serves us. He serves us. Now, I know most of you, you really know your Bibles well, and you will remember the last week of Jesus' earthly life, and you will remember his last Passover meal, right? The the celebration Passover meal that he had with his disciples. Do Do you remember what he did at that meal? John in chapter 13 records it for us when he says this, he rose from supper, He laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel and he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. King Jesus comes as the ultimate servant king and he's sending you and I, friends, to serve others in the exact same way. He modeled it for us, didn't he? He modeled it for them. He modeled it on the cross. He died for us. He continues in verses 39 and 40 and says, but know this. Pay attention. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So clearly he's referencing, Jesus is referencing his second coming. Now listen, we got to think just for a second here. Luke knows this when he's writing this, right? He knows what? He knows that Jesus was crucified died, buried, rose again, ascended, and that he's coming again. These guys who are looking at Jesus are like, what? Hello? What are you talking about? You have come. They're still trying to process the fact that he's going. They haven't figured that out yet. He says, but know this. It's a wake-up call, and it is referenced throughout Jesus' ministry and the New Testament, and it is this. He will come like a thief in the night is what the Scripture teaches us, right? 
In, in Revelation, the last book of the Bible that, that specifically chronicles Jesus' second coming, Jesus himself says this to John. He says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. This is a prophetic gift to the church, to you and I from Jesus through the Apostle John in heaven where John was translated to and then came back to earth to write this. Actually, he wrote it when he was there, the very words from Jesus about his second coming. And this is approximately 30 to 40 years after he's saying this in Luke. Blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen to be exposed. So it should sound familiar, right? His warning to his disciples in that day and to you and I today is this. Always be ready. Always be awake. Clear-headed. Always be awake. Meaning, don't think that because it's 725,000 days since I said these things, that I'm not coming tonight. Isn't that the danger? Isn't that the danger? I read in one commentary, a seminary prof used to start off the class by asking these wannabe pastors and preachers one day, do you believe Jesus is coming tonight? And of course, most of the seminary students would look at him and go, well, probably not, right? He would then take them to this chapter in Luke. Possibly tonight. Possibly tonight. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you awake? Are we awake, church? That's number one. Ready, set, and lights on. Number two, reward and consequences. I love Peter. I am just like Peter. So what I'm going to say about him isn't to put him down. But he's... He's Peter, right? He, he, Jesus has just said these things, and what does Peter ask? He goes, Lord, are you telling us this parable for us or for all these people, right? Like, I mean, Peter's amazing, right? He's a little bit like the student who's in class and the teacher, you know, she's given this long, you know, talk about science or whatever it might be, and it's a, it's a, it's a tutorial and, and all the rest of it, and she's going on about a lot of details, right? And all, there's, there's this one student who'll raise his hand, and, and, and this, the teacher's kind of annoyed by it because she's not finished with the tutorial or the lesson, and she goes, Peter, what's your question? And Peter goes, is this going to be on the test? This is our Peter. So Peter wants to know, is this, is this for us, us special guys, the, you know, the apostles, the, you know, your, your, your core team, or is this for the plebs? Is this for those? That's kind of what he's asking, right? And it's always interesting when Jesus answers Peter or, or, or any of the other disciples or even the religious people, his answers are always very, very interesting. Oftentimes Jesus will answer with another question, right, which completely throws people off. But he is, his, his style and his method is very unique. And of course, it's, he's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. And again, I remind us, he loves you. He loves Peter. How patient is he with Peter? How patient is he with you, with me? It goes on and says this, And the Lord said to Peter and to all those who were there, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? 
whom his master will set over his household, give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. So first, Jesus answers the question by saying that, yes, Peter, this parable is actually about you. It's about everyone too, as we'll see in conclusion, but it is actually about you. It's about you guys. It's about you apostles. These are the men who will be given the responsibility to shepherd the church, to plant the church, to write the New Testament, the canon of Scripture. So yes, Peter, this is clearly for you, right? They will lead, listen, the household of faith, the church of Jesus Christ that he's building. And they will be rewarded, listen, look what it says here, if they, look at the text, are ready, faithful, and wise. So who then are the ones who are to be ready, and what are they doing? Jesus' answer to Peter is like this. He's like, you, Peter, are one of those who I'm going to leave in charge of my household, of my church that I'm going to tell Matthew that I'm going to build. And, and this is during the period when I'm away, and, and here is what's going, here's what you're going to do. You and all the other leaders are going to look after the people of my house that I will make you shepherds over. You, Peter, and listen, Peter, by the way, I'm going to remind you of this after I've risen from the dead. Your job, Peter, is going to be to what? Feed my sheep. And that's what this answer talks about in this parable. It's about feeding those in the household while the master is away. You, Peter, I'm going to remind you this. Feed my sheep. And how will you do that? Well, you will teach them everything that I've commanded, everything that I've taught you guys and, 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 and the women. You're going to teach them everything about me. And then the Holy Spirit's going to inspire you to write the Gospels and the New Testament and the, the epistles for instruction in righteousness. You're going to do that too. You will feed them the Word of God. You will teach them about the gospel of grace. You, you, you will care for them. You will protect them. For the 99 and 1, remember we sang that today? For those that are being led astray by, by wolves and by false teachers, you will go after them, Peter, because those people are thieves, and you'll bring them back. Yes, Peter, this is about you. This is about leadership in the local church. It is about in the church of Jesus Christ today, pastors and elders, people who are in a leadership. This is the work in the church that Jesus has and does give to pastors and elders today. Regardless of what else we are called to, I, I, I'm full-time in the ministry. Thankfully, that the, the, the church is able to support me and my wife so that I can do this full-time, but we have other elders in the church who have regular jobs, right? And they have mouths to feed, and they have mortgages to pay, and they have other jobs. And it doesn't matter where they go, though, they are also called as elders into the local church. And Jesus is saying to them here, to every elder and their spouses, by the way, in this church here today, guys, be ready, be faithful, be wise, always awake, and be serving. Be serving our senior pastor, whose name is Jesus Christ, Someone asked me a few months ago, like, why do you call yourself lead pastor? Like, it was said in kind of a questioning way, as if I think that lead pastor is, means, well, I'm more important. I'm not. It's just the role of leadership as the pastor of the elders in the church. But it was a conscious decision we made as a church 
when we planted this church that we're not going to just have elder meetings at a table and, and give nodding assent in our minds that Jesus is the head of the church. No, we put it in our constitution. He is the senior pastor of the Rock Church. Now, I'm not against any other church who uses that title for, for that's, that's fine, but that's why we do it, right? And, and it's important for us to see that. And so he's putting us in this position as leaders, Peter, you guys in this position for, I, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to die for them. I want you to protect them. Rebuke them if necessary, but protect them. And so can I encourage you this summer? Pray for us. Pray for your elders, for your pastor and his wife. Pray for us. It's, it's great, great responsibility. <laughs> it's a burden sometimes. In fact, it is why after a season of planting churches and doing exactly what Jesus told the apostles to do, Peter writes this. He writes this as an encouragement to elders, but also to the church. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll put it on screen. He says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Look, not under compulsion, not because you're obligated to, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. I love that. But eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this is what he's teaching Peter here. This is what it's about. But there's work to be done, faithful, wise, awake work to be done, but there is a crown of glory climbing. There is a blessing. And then in the book of Hebrews, which I, I personally believe is written by the Apostle Paul, but it's one of those books that we're not positive about, it says in chapter 13, verse 17, here's a good one for the congregation, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Scripture teaches us that those who are in positions of leadership over others in the church will be held to a higher account. This parable, this teaching of consequences is getting at that. And so now the truth is, and we all know it, not all servants, pastors, elders, and members of churches are faithful, ready, and wise. Which is why Jesus goes on and says this, but if that servant says to himself, to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to drink and to get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Please let me remind you, this is Jesus. <laughs> Some people think that the Apostle Paul is the meanie in Scripture. This is Jesus. This is a higher account. It's rather serious language. But again, you can see what, what happens here is just like with the parable of the rich fool. He thought within himself. There's, there's, this, there's this propensity sometimes, even in ministry, for people to go, it's been 725,000 days. 
I don't think he's coming tonight. In fact, I'm not sure he's coming in my lifetime. In fact, my ministry's not growing. I'm not being blessed by God today. And so what might we actually see in our world today? Well, we might see things like the prosperity gospel, right? Uh, men calling themselves preachers of God's word, pastors who have Lear jets to fly around in. Hello? <laughs> Widows watching them on late night television and giving money to them out of their pensions. This kind of servant is the complete opposite of the ready, faithful, and wise. They're wasting their lives, Jesus says here, completely unfaithful. They're drunken gluttons who abuse not only men, but women. What will Jesus do when he comes? There's very harsh language here, I understand, but let's just synthesize it and say this. There will be justice. God's justice. Not yours, not mine. His justice. Certainly, with certainty, there will be justice. Everything will be revealed when Jesus returns. So we must make sure our life matches, our profession, our walk. Everything will be put right. The truth will be known at last. There will be justice. That we can be certain of. Jesus then says in the last two verses of our passage for today, Notice there's a progression here. It goes from really, really serious consequences down a notch and down a notch. Verse 47 says, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. He concludes with in verse 48, But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Here's a key for us. That key word is everyone, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So as we should see, as I've been alluding to, there is a descending level of consequences in this, right? There's, revo- there's reward, singularly, for those who are ready, faithful, and wise. And for those who doubt, there is a master who is coming back, and there is either the ultimate consequence of being eternally cut off from God, which is the ultimate consequence, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness, or there are those who know what the Word of God says, Christian. You know what the Word of God says but you're refusing to act on it. There are consequences. He wants you to act on it. There's consequences today and in eternity, by the way. There are many crowns for some and fewer crowns and lesser crowns. I don't know how that's all going to work out in heaven. I honestly don't. But it's true what the Word says about that. So that's His will. But they are neither... None of these are either ready or acting and doing what his word says. They will receive lesser consequences as well as lesser reward. Finally, there are those who who don't even know what God's will and word are. And of course, they're still doing bad things. They're still not behaving correctly. And so, of course, there are consequences for them. 
So now in conclusion, let me just lean on that one key word. And that one key word is everyone, which brings us to our final point, which is how to remain ready today. So Jesus concludes here with what is really like Solomon writing a proverb. It's a proverb. What he writes, he says, everyone to whom much was given, of him will be, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So as we've been highlighting for the past several weeks in Luke, we are very rich, right, friends? Come on, in our North American culture today, we are incredibly rich. But you and I here today, Christian 2,000 years after these writings, after these events, seeing everything else that has been prophesied in the Scripture coming true, we are rich. We should be rich in certainty, in the knowledge that everything that the Word of God says is going to happen, does happen, is true. We should be certain. This side of the cross, we've been given so much. We have the promises of the Old Testament that were all fulfilled in Christ's coming. We have the completed New Testament canon, the, the incarnational birth of Jesus. We have the preaching and teaching of Jesus and the foundation of the apostles. We have the gospel of grace. We have the explosive reality and evidence of the church over the last 2,000 years. And to this day, in an unbelieving world, who, how could that possibly be happening? That broken, messed up sinners like you and me are going to be believing in this man who lived 2,000 years ago as the son of the living God and placing our faith and trust in him for our eternity. With all of that, then, we should hear the words of Jesus and do what? Do what? May I suggest? Believe him. Not me. Believe him. Trust Him and be ready. He is coming when people least expect it. We, listen, we should be the ones, you and I should be the ones who every day look like we're expectant, look like we're prepared, like we're ready, like we're any time, any moment He could come. Why? Because lost people need to see us living and behaving that way. Amen? At that point, they might actually look around and go, well, you're weird. You're different. Why? You really believe this, don't you? And yet, and yet you know what? That's really, on top of that, that's the second thing that I think we should see is that we, we should not only be ready, awake, alert all the time because we truly believe Jesus could come tonight, not because we're trying to scare people into heaven, right, and out of hell, right? Some people have used that in the past. You know, you could come tonight. Look at no, we should be living that way because we're certain it could be tonight or tomorrow, but we're certain he's coming. But then the other part of it should be this. We should be the happiest, most joyful people on the planet, right? Well, why? Because do you know where he is right now? Do you know what he's preparing? He's preparing dinner. He's preparing a banquet for you and for me. He's going to return to earth. He's going to return. Are you ready? Pray with me, would you?